1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Pennsburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna and as always, joined alongside me is fellow Pennsburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since last week?
2: Not too bad, Garrett. Um, now we're in March, that weather seems to be starting to turn a little bit, and some warmer weather the last few days, and uh, starting to get to the nitty-gritty of this hockey season.
1: Hopefully, Robbie, the warmer weather outside can correlate into some hotter temperatures, on the ice for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, we have some some games to look at, as we always do. We'll start off this week's podcast with a recap segment. Uh, we'll start off, Robbie, with the February 24th game against the New Jersey Devils. The Devils win this one by a score of 6-1. to one. Uh, Robbie, uh, if you had a chance to watch this game, or anyone listening had a chance to watch this game, it was effectively over by the middle portion of the first period of play. There really isn't a whole lot to... To dissect in this one, the Penguins didn't have it. Jesper Brott, uh scores the first two goals in regulation, one at the 116 mark of the first period and then again at the 547 mark. New Jersey is all of a sudden out to a 2-0 lead. Uh, end of the second period, Dawson Mercer extends New Jersey's lead to 4-0. To Evgeny Malkin would get the lone tally for the Penguins on the power play. And uh, really, the, the the Devils would control the rest of regulation throughout. Uh, Damon Severson and Nico Hischier would get two additional tallies on the power play as well. As I mentioned, uh, Pittsburgh really, Robbie laying an egg here, six to one against the Devils. Not really what you want to see against a team in New Jersey that's not really uh, they're not really going anywhere. Uh, the Devils, uh, the Devils, really. I don't know if they have the Penguins number, Robbie, but. It's just a a game that you hate to see the Penguins drop considering where they are in the standings at this point. Uh, however, as we say often on this show, you are going to have clunkers like this over an 82-game season. So I'll hand it over to you. What did you like? Or per, perhaps in this case, Robbie, there's more to dislike from this February 24th performance against the New Jersey Devils.
2: Yeah, not a good game, not a good performance. And this was kind of at the end of a... A uh, little tough stretch for the Penguins. Uh, uh, this Jersey game was not, uh, I mean, they can, you can lose to anybody, but you don't expect them to get the doors blown off by a team like Jersey, especially a team like the Penguins. It's uh, right up there uh, at the top of the league, but yeah, you're going to have clunkers like this. Jersey always seems to be one of those teams that has one of those games against the Penguins every year where, um, uh, the Penguins just can't wake, wake up and get going. So, um, I mean, yeah, you you take you kind of just try to shrug it off. Yeah, it was your third loss in a row, and it was the third generally poor perform performance in a row. I you can't really say they played terrible against uh, leading into that, but it wasn't it wasn't pretty either. So uh, you kind of just take the good with the bad um, in this situation and kind of uh, move on um, from it. And that's what they did. They were able then to. Uh, recoup uh, over the weekend and get some results finally after that tough three game stretch where this devil's game uh, kind of being the culmination of that tough play.
1: That's a good point, Robbie. It really did feel like the culmination of that little skid that they were on, and as you mentioned, the Penguins would uh, they would get off the schneid. They would eventually find their way back into the win column because the next game they played February 26th against the Red Hot New York Rangers. Robbie, uh, for all of the offense that the Rangers and Penguins uh, have given throughout their respective seasons, there was only one goal. One goal scored between these two clubs. It was Evgeny Malkin on the power play at the five oh nine mark of the third period. Pittsburgh wins this very tight affair one to nothing. Uh I think Robbie you don't have to look too far to to to, to know What the the biggest storyline of this game was, if you didn't have a chance to watch it, it was all about the goaltenders here as New York's Igor Shosturkin finishes with 25 saves on 26 shots, good for a 962 save percentage. And, of course, Tristan Jari going 27 for 27 and getting the shutout as well. So, Robbie, as as you mentioned... The Penguins find themselves back in the win column, starting to get some more positive results. Not a lot of offense in this game, but when the Penguins needed them the most on the power play, it was Evgeny Malkin. And Tristan Jari, as he has done all season long, has been able to confidently shut the door against the opposition and get a very valuable, very valuable two points against a divisional opponent. I will hand it over to you, Robbie. What were your impressions from the February 26th game against the New York Rangers?
2: Yeah, this was uh, really a, an incredible game against two very good teams. And it's going to be uh, this game and the rest of them against teams like the Rangers and Hurricanes to determine where exactly the Penguins are slated uh, when the playoffs start yeah, in, in a couple months. And after the loss against Carolina the Sunday before, being able to welcome Jersey in, or not Jersey, the Rangers into Pittsburgh after that three game losing streak, not playing their best hockey. And again, it didn't start out pretty, but Tristan Jari, after some shaky games leading into that, he slammed the door in this game. He brought his best uh, for one of the biggest matchups of the year for the Penguins. And at the end of the day, their power play was the difference. Evgeny Malkin uh, chipping in and getting uh, what turned out to be the game winner in a one nothing game. But if this is any indication of what the rest of the season between these two teams is like and a potential playoff matchup, it's going to be a very maddening but exciting a matchup for both fans and both teams because they seem to be very even. Um, Igor Sheskatarian uh, for the uh, the Rangers is probably the Vesna favorite, maybe even a potential MVP candidate this year. Uh, he has just been uh, playing out of his mind, and he's going to be very tough, but at the other end, Tristan Jari went save for save with him and actually even did one better uh, than Sheskatarian did in this game uh, to get the win. So, I mean, a game like that, you take when you beat a team like the Rangers, uh, and really shut down an offense that good. You it doesn't matter what your offense does because there's so much good to take out of that Penguins game, uh, because just the way they played, the way the defense played, the way Jari played after the week and a half before that, the way that they struggled, the three losses in a row to uh, an afternoon game against a very tough opponent, a very very good result and a very good. Uh, process on the ice as well not just one nothing while your goalie steals a show Uh, they rebounded after a slow start and really uh, even that uh, even that ice up and uh, they were able to uh, come out with the win and get a very crucial two
1: points so the penguins move forward one day later to close off the second half of a back-to-back against another divisional rival in the columbus blue jackets The last game in the calendar month in the month of February against the Blue Jackets, the Penguins win this one by a score of three to two. However, it was not without some uh, resistance here. Oliver Oliver Bjorkstrand gets the Columbus Blue Jackets on the board at the 4:43 mark of the first period. However, Chad Ruweedle. Uh, who recently signed a two-year extension with the Penguins. Uh, he seems to have found some offensive touch to his game, has Rue Weedle uh, now seeing some more increased playing time and has the contract situation out of the way. He gets the equalizer for the Penguins at the 19-11 mark of the first period, right before intermission. Jack Roslevic would be the only goal scorer in the second period, so Columbus retakes the lead 2-1 over Pittsburgh. However, in the third period, it would be Evgeny Malkin on the power play, once again following up his performance against the New York Rangers. And then Sidney Crosby would get the game-winning goal at the 17-46 mark. Of the third period, Pittsburgh, as I mentioned, wins this one by a score of three to two. Uh, There were times in this game, Robbie, where it looked like the, the Blue Jackets may have been giving the Penguins fits. Uh, and Elvis Merzlikens, the, the goaltender for the Blue Jackets, was playing very well. He, he uh, made 37 saves on 40 shots, good for a 925 save percentage and a losing effort. Uh, but the Penguins do what they need to do in Columbus to get two points over a divisional rival in the Blue Jackets that, as, as things stand right now, aren't really going anywhere in the standings. So. Uh, The Penguins, again, collecting two points within the division. Very promising, indeed, getting the win in regulation over the Blue Jackets. So I'll hand it over to you, Robbie. You can put the finishing touches on this recap segment. What did you like from the February 27th game against Columbus?
2: What a game this was. Coming off a very emotional and hard-fought game just about 24 hours before, uh, to go out there and come back against the Blue Jackets on the road and get a win is, uh, again, big. Any win this time of year is big. Uh, to be able to stack those uh, two wins over the weekend after that, again, that stretch of uh, tough play uh, leading into those uh, back-to-back. Uh, and the way they did it, they just kept battling. They didn't get down. I, you got scoring from uh, Chad Rui on this game. You got Evgeny Malkin again on the power play. Casey Smith uh, settled down um and was pretty solid in net and crosby stepped up for the game-winning goal um columbus was obviously very irked by the goal but if you watch the replay you can clearly see the chris Sidney crosby well outside the blue paint so was uh the blue jacket goaltender when the contact was made and crosby just banked in a uh, just a i mean basically an open netter uh that anybody could have scored and he buried it, and then the Penguins saw the rest of that game out. So, I mean, that was just kind of the capstone of a very, very good weekend for the Penguins, a very important weekend for the Penguins. Uh, that's the last, um, I don't want to call it easy game, but a game against a team that is not currently sitting in a playoff position, at the very least, uh, for quite some while for the Penguins, as this March schedule is going to get uh, rather treacherous and very quickly starting uh, tonight against Tampa Bay. So, uh, very big win, a very big four points from that weekend. And just a a good feeling going into this next upcoming, very difficult stretch of hockey for the Penguins.
1: And you you alluded to it right there, Robbie. We'll segue right into the main segment. That's exactly what I want to talk about this week on this week's episode. Uh, Looking at the Penguins' schedule between now as we record this on March 3rd, we're recording this before the game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. From March 3rd through March 17th, here's the Penguins' upcoming schedule, as Robbie alluded to. Uh, They play the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Florida Panthers, the Vegas Golden Knights. The Carolina Hurricanes again, the Nashville Predators, and the St. Louis Blues again between tonight, February 3rd, and excuse me, uh, March 3rd and March 17th. Uh, Those are the games that are on the deck for the Pittsburgh Penguins. All of these teams that the Penguins will see between now and March 17th are in some sort of playoff positioning, and. I've made no secret of it. I think this could be the hardest stretch of games for the Penguins this season. And so, Robbie, like I mentioned, that's what I want to talk about. This looks like it could be not a make or break. That's too extreme. But you're, you're going to see what this Penguins team is made of. And Mike Sullivan recently said that this will be a measuring stick opportunity for his team. So my question to you, Robbie, is looking at these games... Uh, ahead of the Penguins, and we briefly touched on it last week. Where how well should the Penguins perform against other playoff opponents? So with Mike Sullivan looking uh, looking at this next stretch as a measuring stick opportunity for his team, how much stock are you putting into Mike Sullivan's words, and what what are your realistic expectations between now and and March 17th against the the St. Louis Blues? Would you be satisfied with with going 500 as the Penguins have sort of done this year against other playoff opponents, playoff uh, opponents that are in playoff positioning? Would you be satisfied with a bit of a, a four and three split, or maybe a three and a four, three and four split, if it meant you're you're still maintaining ground within the Metropolitan Division? So I'll hand it over to you and uh, to get your thoughts on what you think the Penguins will look like over this very difficult stretch of games.
2: Yeah, no doubt this is going to be a very, very uh, interesting uh, upcoming schedule for the Penguins. We're going to learn a lot about the Penguins, but at the same time, we're going to learn a lot about the teams that uh, they're going to go up against as well, because you're going to have, I mean, Tampa Bay and Florida are battling out for the Atlantic Division. Um, Vegas, I mean, Vegas is in a playoff spot, but they're by no means um, locked in or anything. They've really been kind of up and down this year, and then Nashville and St. Louis nashville again right on the bubble as a i believe the second wild card and then st louis is in a pretty decent position in the central division but um the the two big games for me are Car- the two carolina games uh tomorrow night friday march 4th and then sunday march 13th back at home in pittsburgh are the two uh games that i'm definitely going to circle that if the penguins go uh, three and four while not perfect as those two, if two of those three wins are the Carolina games, then I'm I'm feeling a little bit better about it because that's four points in that Metro Division race against a team that currently behind and currently do have some extra ground to make up with games in hand and stuff like that. So um, four and three, I mean, I think is perfectly acceptable. Uh, it's easy to look to schedule and be like, man, that's a tough schedule. But again, the Penguins are right there with Carolina. They're right there. They're statistically a better team than – um, the Predators and even the the Golden Knights and um, uh, St. Louis at this point. But, yeah, we're going to see uh, – we're going to learn a lot about the Penguins here in these next uh, two weeks. I mean, today's the third. They play that final game of that, that stretch um, the two weeks from today when we're recording again against the St. Louis Blues. So uh, we're going to learn a lot by the next time – or by the time that this – Little section this half month of schedule. These fourteen days uh, wrap up. There's only luckily there's only one back to back in the whole situation, which will give the penguins some time to rest, as well as they do have multiple days off um, uh, between the first Carolina game and the Florida game and then between Florida and Vegas. So uh, while there are a bunch of games cramped in here, they do have some time off to stay rest to rest up and um, heal any injuries they may incur. But, Uh, Yeah, you're going to learn a lot about the Penguins. I think anywhere in that four and three, even a four, two and one, three, three and one, three and four, anything uh, in there, I think is acceptable. But the two games against the Hurricanes, the ones I'm definitely circling, they are, I mean, they're essentially six point games if you count the loser point in overtime. So uh, very, very uh, important games there for the Metropolitan Division. The games against Tampa and Florida are more for um, positioning should they meet them in the Eastern Conference Finals um, kind of thing for a home ice kind of situation. But uh, I, the only thing I know for certain is uh, when Arizona, when they go to Arizona on or March 19th, uh, they then play Columbus and Buffalo the following week. I think that uh, everybody's going to be pretty relieved to see those teams on the schedule after this stretch the Penguins are about to go through.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Robbie. If there is one thing that uh, Penguins fans should be looking forward to, I mean, you're you brought it up right there. It's that. I, I would watch. If you're a fan of the Penguins, I would monitor your blood pressure, make sure make sure everything's going well with you uh, from 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 a medical standpoint. Uh, because these this next stretch of games could certainly uh, could certainly make you a little bit grayer and it could certainly uh, could certainly give you some more anxiety. So I definitely agree with you. As we look forward past this stretch of games, uh, I know the Coyotes, like you said, were the next team after they get out of this pretty rough stretch. So that 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 is something to look forward to. And as you mentioned, we're going to learn a lot about the Penguins in this next stretch of games. And we're going to learn a lot about the likes of the Hurricanes and uh, the, the Panthers and the Lightning and all of the other Western Conference teams that the Penguins will play between now and towards the end of March. We'll definitely keep an eye on that. And Robbie, so with that, We will switch to our mailbag segment now. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you're interested in contributing to this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account. Every week we will put out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. And this week, Robbie, we have six questions from just a couple of people, but six questions nonetheless. As always, Robbie, you'll get first crack at the mailbag. Question number one comes from Brian. Am I the only one that thinks this team is sort of using Kasperi Kapanen wrong? His game reminds me of what we had in Carl Hagelin, but with obvious higher offensive upside. I think if he was able to use his speed more, the floodgate could open up for him. What are your thoughts?
2: I don't necessarily disagree with it, but a part of what sticks out to me as compared to Carl Hagelin with Kasperi Kapanen is Hagelin never quit on the play. And there's times where Kasperi Kapanen seems to be zoning out when he has the puck. If you remember the turnover against the Capitals uh, that cost him that game in overtime a few weeks ago, um, just stuff like that. It's just very nonchalantness where that was never an issue with Carl Hagelin, it felt like. Not that he was – he never made any mistakes, but it definitely – is a much different feel when it compares to Kapanen. I agree with the speed, and he probably does when when all said and done. Probably does have more offensive skill than uh, Haglin. Haglin, as you remember, he had great speed, could not finish. Uh, he would go on them hot streaks, especially in the second half of the year. But Kapanen just seems like there's. He takes shifts off. He seems hesitant to drive the net sometimes. All those issues were never really present with. Uh, Carl Hagelin during his time in Pittsburgh. So no. while I don't necessarily disagree with the point, and if they could find a way for him to optimize and use his speed a little bit uh, free more freely, I think that would be a great idea. But there's, I believe, a nonchalantness aspect to the way Kaepernick plays sometimes that you didn't see with Hagelin that might be more of a problem that's causing captain to struggle rather than just a... Bad line matchup or bad chemistry with whatever line he's on. I think it's more of a something that can't necessarily be fixed by putting him in a on a different line and hoping that he can just use his speed uh, to create more offense. I think it's more of a something that needs to be worked on mentally uh, with the coaching staff off the ice to kind of get through to him that he can't just take shifts off. He can't get sloppy with the puck because it's just going to lead to bad things. Uh, question number two, again from Brian. Um, I've recently been looking at trade rumors, and on one site I found it said we could be in play for Brock Besser from the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, the report said it could be possible replacement if we lost Russ in free agency. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? also stated we could extend Brock, I would assume that means Brock Besser again, to get the cap hit down.
1: It's definitely an interesting trade scenario. And I know a lot of fans and a lot of pundits have connected Vancouver and Pittsburgh recently because of Jim Rutherford's involvement and Patrick Alvin's involvement with the Canucks. We know what kind of of general manager Jim Rutherford was in his time here in Pittsburgh. So while I wouldn't be against a trade for Brock Besser... Uh, I'm not sure what the what the what, what what the Penguins would have to give up in order to acquire Besser. Looking at his contract, he has a cap hit this season of 5.875 million, and uh, I'm not sure if he's a restricted free agent or unrestricted free agent, uh, but he is out of contract after this season. So, uh, but there was another player that I saw floating around recently, also with the Vancouver Canucks, and that is right winger Connor Garland, who, and in, from Garland's perspective, has a lower cap hit of 4.95 million, and he's under contract for the next one, two, three, for the next four seasons after this one. So. Ah, uh, Connor Garland. If you're looking at trade candidates with the Vancouver Canucks, uh, I would be fine with Brock Besser. We, I know that Brock Besser is a very dynamic forward. But I would also uh, I would also like to inform everybody if you are looking at trade candidates keep an eye on Connor Garland again I have nothing to report but if Connor Garland Connor Garland's name does come up in trade rumors with the Vancouver Canucks linked to the Penguins know that I think the Penguins would be getting a, a very fine forward in Garland as well. Question number three also comes from Brian. Do you think it's time to move Evan Rodriguez back to a line with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel and, and as a result, move Brian Russ down with Evgeny Malkin and Kasperi Kapanen? Could this, in turn, help Kasperi Kapanen find his touch?
2: I'm really not a fan of breaking up 87-59-17 uh, and 17 because that line just, when they find their groove, it's just unstoppable. I'm just really not a fan of breaking up uh, that trio if we can avoid that um at any cost really um as for evan rodriguez until we get teddy blooger back and everybody kind of uh, settles back into a more permanent role i think that you're just going to take the good with the bad um i think that it, playing him at center might be your best bet um even or maybe it is uh, alongside Evgeny Malkin. I don't know exactly. I'm just I I hesitate at breaking up that line of Crosby, Gentle, and Russ. Uh, like I said before, when they are clicking, they are one of the best lines in hockey, and it, that's I mean you're gonna need that line uh, to come through with you down this stretch here. So I'm not necessarily against the idea. I I mean you want to try to do something to get. Uh, Evan Rodriguez rolling again. You're not. You're probably not going to get the same production that you got at the beginning of the year because he was just he was on a tear that I'm not sure that can be replicated going uh, going forward uh, like it was. But uh, I, to break up that first line, not really a fan of it unless they would just need a shakeup. Uh, figuring out Rodriguez, I, I think you're just going to have to wait till the. To the bounces start coming back. I, I mean, he's been he did score um, during that stretch of bad play where they were losing, but you just hope that he finds that game again. The shots start uh, instead of sailing a little higher, a little wide, they start clanking off the post and in, and uh, he kind of gets some of that momentum back and some of that confidence back. So, for the time being, I'd rather stick with that top line as is with Sid, uh, Jake, and Rust. Uh, and then try to work in Erod somewhere else just to get his confidence back. And as for Cap, I, I'll go back to what I said with the first question. I just think that it's more of a a, a mental issue that has to be worked on off the ice to kind of maybe get his head out of a place where he's not taking shifts off, uh, regardless of who he's playing next to, because it's just more of a off the ice issue that needs to be worked on to kind of get his his concentration back and his focus on. Uh, making the right plays and not taking shifts off question number four we're going to go to brendan for this one uh, i have seen calls to temporarily suspend all russian contracts i'm on the fence about this uh, as partially as a partially ukrainian canadian if they did compare how if they did compare how this impacts the eastern conference teams, who is the most and least impacted where do the pens shake out uh, as we would only lose Gino for our division uh, Washington and the Rangers are really hurt, and Carolina Pitt lose one guy each.
1: Yeah, the, the, the crisis in Ukraine has now come to impact almost all walks of life, and even uh, within the sporting leagues here that do feature European players, I don't think Russian contracts are going to be suspended uh, at all. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it would be a very extreme Kind of almost strange me- measure to do that, but if they were, uh, as the question uh, as the question says, looking at the Eastern Conference and looking at the teams in the Metropolitan Division, uh, I went through to look at the rosters of each team there to see who would be the most impacted. I started with the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning have Andrei Vasilevsky, Mikhail Sergachev, and of course uh, Nikita Kucherov as the three main Russian stars. Uh, those are obviously some very important cogs to the Lightning's success as they look to go for a three-peat and a third straight Stanley Cup. So if, if those contracts were suspended, uh, the Lightning would certainly feel, the, the, feel the, the, the pain of losing those three players as well. The Capitals, uh, moving over to the Metropolitan Division, the Capitals, as the question mentions, would be pretty impacted, pretty negatively impacted with Alexander Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Dmitry Orlov, and Ilya Samsonov as uh, all, again, all key major cogs to the Capitals game as well. So if if that were to happen, the Capitals would absolutely take, take a, a, a nosedive in terms of the talent that they'd be able to put out on the ice. In terms of the Carolina Hurricanes, it would really only impact uh, Andrei Sveshnikov. However, he is one of their dynamic point producers in the top six. Uh, As far as the Penguins are concerned, of course, Evgeny Malkin would uh, be suspended, and that would create a hole within the top six. Potentially, you could move Jeff Carter to make him a second-line center, uh, Teddy Bluger, when he comes back from injury, he could slot in the third line, and I guess you could have a, a bit of a rotating door. You could have Brian Boyle or a, a another uh, another lower uh, lower kind of forward to try and slot in to take some over those fourth line roles, uh, fourth line duties as well. And in terms of the Rangers, obviously they have Artemi Panarin and Igor Shosturkin, the, the, uh, incredible goaltender, as Robbie mentioned earlier, probably the Vesna winner and possibly even get some heart trophy consideration as well. So there are a lot of very talented Russian players within the Eastern conference and especially the Metropolitan division. That uh, if these contracts were to be suspended, which, again, I don't think there's any likelihood of that happening. If these contracts were to be suspended, all of these teams that I mentioned would certainly take a a, a, a negative. It it would turn into a negative for all of these teams in terms of who they can put out on the ice to compete uh, with other teams around the league. Uh, Question number five also comes from Brendan. I have never understood, and especially during COVID times, why there is a random guy sitting in the penalty box. What value does this person actually bring? Can't someone be a runner between the two boxes to make sure the door is closed? Why do they actually have to sit in the penalty box? Uh,
2: I think there's a couple people that sit in the penalty box area during the game. Uh, I mean, when the game, when you're on the when you're in the penalty box and your penalty expires during normal play the door has to be ready to be open immediately and i mean i technically i guess you could have a run between the two boxes but um i just think that i mean that door has to be ready to go immediately you couldn't i mean what if you had a guy in each box that had to be let for you couldn't have just one guy let out five seconds earlier than the other It wouldn't be really a fair uh competitive advantage uh even if it only is a couple seconds but I mean, the workers are there for a reason. If you go to even minor league hockey games, there's somebody in each box, um, ready to get the door open. They also take down stats and penalties. They write down uh, all that information to pass on uh, to the scorekeepers. Uh, I know one of them is the the designated uh, puck guy. When one goes into the pl- out of play, they are there to. Uh, toss in another one into play and get it ready to go for the rep so there's no uh waiting around they can just get uh get going uh as quickly as possible uh when a puck goes into the stand. So, yeah, I think it's just more of a matter of convenience, uh making sure that everything uh flows smoothly in the penalty box, the players are let out, everything's done safely uh and effectively that. Uh there's just no no issues running into. Them. I'm sure they were all masked uh, and vaccinated during uh, these last few months and or over a year now uh, since hockey has resumed um, like it has. So, um, you yeah, know, overall, I think it's just more of a matter of convenience rather than anything else that somebody's in there uh, to get the players ready to go and get uh, all the score tracking, stat tracking done uh, in a timely manner. Uh, question number six, again from Brendan. I often hear that our talent pool in the minors sucked. I don't buy it. Uh, Pierre Olivier Joseph, Drew O'Connor, Radim Zahorna, Sam Poulon, uh, Nathan Legere, Valerie Pustin, Pustinen. Uh, I cannot remember Nylander's first name. Uh, and then Ollander. It can all be second, third liners at some point. Fraska, Gruden, Angelo, Dorquist are interesting. Lindbergh and Go- Taylor Gauthier, who they just signed. Uh, one could be a backup goalie next year. Uh, what are your thoughts on this?
1: It's a very positive outlook to take, Brendan, when looking at the when looking at the prospect cupboard for the Penguins. Uh, I can see where you're coming from, and I can see where you'd want to make this argument. I don't know if the Penguins' prospect pool sucks, as as you put it. Uh, I don't know if it's that bad. However, there are no impact players. Looking at the the names you listed, P.O.J. O'Connor, Zahorna, uh, Sam Poulin is a fir- former first-round pick who has yet to make an impact in the NHL. Nathan Legere is a player that the former, uh, the former uh, general manager Jim Rutherford really liked. Nealander was acquired in a trade earlier this year. Hallander, you do mention that all of these players could be second or third liners, and with that, I, I do agree. Uh, I do agree that if they do reach their full potential, a lot of these guys could be very solid, very regular contributors for the Penguins in a couple of years time. And you, we have guys that we recently signed as of a couple of days ago, like Taylor Gauthier and Fraska. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh, again, we have uh, a couple of other undrafted players who, and the Penguins have gone to that well a couple of times within the last I don't know five or so years, and they have had some success dealing with some undrafted players and uh, overage players who are finishing out their junior career. So there are definitely, if if a lot of these players can live up to their potential, there are definite players on the list here that can be solid contributors between the second and, and third line. Um, but I, I, I just don't see any superstar players that are ready to come through the rinks and take the reins away from Crosby and Malkin. That's where my concerns lie. You can build a roster, you can shape a roster with all of these players, and like I say, if they do reach their potential, they do have the capabilities of being solid uh, bottom six contributors or solid defensive contributors. But again, where the Penguins lack, and that that's because they deal away so many first round draft picks, where they lack are these impact players that can come in and almost immediately, if not very close after their draft year, can come in and take some of the pressure off of your, your aging stars and Malkin and Crosby and Latang. That's what they lack. We'll see what Ron Hextall decides to do with that first-round pick later this later uh, later this month, as the trade deadline is March 21st. We'll see if he decides to keep it uh, between now and the draft. If he does want to try and restock those cupboards with a a a a, bit, a bigger, more surefire name to help the aging core of the Penguins. But I, I do agree with you, Brendan. There is some talent here, some very promising talent, but. Uh, Where the Penguins lack, where other teams may not, in my opinion at least, has to come from the impact talent that can slot right in as a rookie and make a difference on the ice for the NHL club. Uh, but we got through the mailbag, Robbie, six questions answered for you, and that will just about do it. That will wrap up this edition of the Pensburgh podcast uh, for Robbie Noggle. I have been Garrett Bahanna again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Pensburgh podcast, and we will see you all right back here this time next week.